please don't use that. I'm just going to use it against you. Honey. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca Cohen. And I'm Maya Garantz. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. And today, we're going to ruin your warm and fuzzy feelings towards the Ukraine. I think it's just Ukraine. Oh, man. Okay, we are going to get into a topic we are totally unqualified to talk about which 100%. is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But before we do, we should catch up. You are back from an artist residency. I sure am. Now you're back in LA. What's going on with you, Maya? How I are am. you doing and what are you drinking? Well, I am doing great. I am drinking tequila and lime and tangerine. I am a uh, I, I had a very spiritually and personally and artistically refreshing five weeks in North Carolina. Um, and now, like, COVID is over, right? So, like, everything's better. The world is new. Yeah, like, sure. I don't know. We're on, the, we're on the verge of World War III, but, like, yeah. whatevs. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's hard to keep up with all of the despair, but I had a really wonderful time and uh, did some great research and work and... It's great to be home. I am so glad that you found that residency to be fruitful and refreshing to you. Would you say it was refreshing to you creatively and intellectually? All of those things. That's it was so great. it was really actually amazing and in terms of looking at the history of labor in the United States and really like getting getting deep into like how do you put the completely erased history of labor back into our historical consciousness is mm -hmm. so one of the places that we visited um i went back to gastonia gaston county in uh in western north carolina and it was the site of one of the biggest labor struggles the lorraine mill strike in 1929 and the 1934 and they could not talk about that strike in the town from 1934 to 2004 Nobody would acknowledge it. Nobody would deal with it. And that's something that um, the inability to manage our historical memory around things that capitalism does not want to remember, it's just very live. So thinking about those things yeah. is extremely interesting. I am very eager to see the work that you're going to produce around these ideas. I am too. <laughs> So, so how are you doing? What are you drinking? What have you been doing, dealing with? I'm doing good. Nothing exciting to report, like any artist residencies or artistic breakthroughs for me. Um, but I'm drinking, you might be interested in this, this um, Mortlock 15 scotch. But you have to see the label because it is a Game of Thrones no! theme. No! I can't believe I never showed you this yet. Um, it's the oh Game of Thrones Six Kingdoms. So I don't know if you're aware, but Game of Thrones, HBO did this arrangement with a bunch of different scotch distilleries where they produced bottles that were Game of Thrones themed and like different distilleries were different houses from the show. So, oh my God. you know, like House Tully was one scotch and, and, and House Bar Baratheon was another one. I don't remember which one was which at this point. This one, but this one is like the big one. This is the Six Kingdoms, Mortlock 15. And it has this beautiful label with this picture of the three-eyed raven on it. Oh, my God. Was, oh, my God. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I love it's it. It's totally ridiculous. It's actually really good scotch, and I'm enjoying it very much. It was a gift from a friend who worked on the show. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he has access to all kinds of cool <laughs> swag and stuff like that. Did we never ruin Game of Thrones? We did a thing. Mm. We did a bonus episode on hair. Right. On, on hair studies. Wow. We never ruined Game of Thrones. Well, I have a quick story that I have to tell you before we get to okay. more serious matters. All right. Okay. So this story starts in 2001 when I was on this road trip documenting historical outdoor dramas out in America. I was on this road trip in this like 
really falling apart, rusted out, like 88 Honda Prelude that I'd bought for like $2,000 on the Lower East Side, like driving across the country. And as often happens in the Southwest, note to our listeners, I was stopped for speeding in some little town in New Mexico. And let me tell you guys, if you have out-of-state plates and you are in New Mexico or Texas, I hope you are carrying no weed in your car, (laughs) slow down in those towns, you're driving on the freeway and then all of a sudden you hit a town and it'll go from 60 miles an hour to 40 to 30 to 20 and they do it so that they can be like, you're driving 32 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. So whatever. So I got the speeding ticket. They wrote it down. It was pre-digital you know, with the ditto paper or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And soon after that, uh, when my road trip was finished, I ended up getting a new car. I got rid of my New York plates and I never paid the ticket. And I really saw it as this last time, this last pre-digital moment, Mm -hmm. this like last moment before they could ever track you down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I suspect the story is going into a place where you might have been wrong about that. So (laughs) what did I get in the mail two days ago? No shit. But a letter from Tatum, New Mexico, requesting that I pay a $47 speeding ticket from July 8th, 2001. Wow. Yes. A 20-year-old parking ticket. you know ticket. what that means? That means their intern finally got around to digitizing all of these paper records. Correct. Correct. <laughs> as far that back. Is... She, she got as far back as 2001. And I wonder if my name had been like, like, Jenny Smith, if they would have found me, you know what I mean? But my name is Maya Garand, so they're going to fucking find me because there's only one of me. But yes, they decided we need income in this town. We're going to go back through like 40 years of unpaid parking tickets and yeah. they fucking found me. You they know what? fucking found I me. I feel bad for you, but also like, I kind of feel like more power to them. Oh, don't. <laughs> like you got to respect that. I went online. I paid it instant. Also, mm-hmm. they, they charge no interest. Oh, I mean, that's no penalty for no non-payment for 20 years. No, no additional compounded anything. So I was like 47 bucks. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I I wanted to say as a side note that uh, having a very common name doesn't, I don't think, change that situation very much. Like, my name is Rebecca Cohen. It is the John Smith of Jewess names, right? There are so many Rebecca Cohens. I've, I've probably said this before on the show, but like, if you Google my name, you have to add so many descriptors before you narrow it down to like five people. If, like, <laughs> if it's like Rebecca Cohen, teacher, New York City cartoonist, like it all, like <laughs> maybe if you put cartoonist, you'll get me at the top. But um, that doesn't stop Hadassah from being able to track me down. Hadassah, the women's organization. Yeah. My grandmother bought me a lifetime membership to probably oh, when I was wow. Born. Yeah. Wow. And they wow. send you a magazine. And uh, it was like a monthly wow. or quarterly, probably quarterly magazine. And like, it doesn't matter. I would move. I, I went to college. I studied abroad. <laughs> I moved back home. I moved to New York. It's like everywhere I moved, they always found me. I feel that. I feel that about my college alumni magazine. Mm. They are the first people to find me when I move. They are the first. I'm yeah. like, my bank doesn't even know that yeah. I moved yet. How the fuck do you know that I moved? I'm still not giving you any money. You yeah. don't need it from me. They're motivated though. Oh yeah. It's probably similar with Hadassah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I also just want to thank our patrons for their continued patience as we make our technical updates and get our shit back together. This is actually something I should have said when you asked how I'm doing. I got a new computer. <gasps> Yay! Yay! Finally, hooray! I've been I've been using my Wacom drawing tablet, which is a computer that runs Windows, but it's also like six years old, and so uh, just what didn't have the capacity to like run fancy apps like Adobe's <laughs> sound editing software. So since I got this new one, I was able to install all these new fancy apps, which is going to really streamline our podcasting producing 
together. And, and I have to thank the patrons specifically because we paid yeah. for those apps with money from the Patreon and we could not have done it otherwise. So that is one example of where their pledges is, are going to really actually help improve the podcast and improve the number of podcasts we can make. So thank you, patrons. Thank um, you. Yeah. And I'll tell you all about my new two-in-one touchscreen tablet laptop thing on the Discord channel, the Sauce Speakeasy. <laughs> I'm going to share all my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. On the, the brand that will not be named because... They're not sponsoring us, but we can talk That's about it right. on the Discord. So if you're interested in joining us on that Discord chat and uh, talking about the show and all things cocktails and laptop computers and anything else we feel like chatting about, go to patreon.com slash sauce podcast and check out the different membership levels and also um, do it just because you love the show. That's right. All right. Shall we get to war? Yeah, let's do it. So I was hesitant. I think we both were hesitant to talk about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the whole war going on there, because we are not experts on, on geopolitics. Or, Nor would we ever pretend to be right. experts on geopolitics. Well, well my, the thing is, I watched a very informative YouTube video. <laughs> and I, I really feel like I am ready to opine. No, I, it actually was an informative video. But no, we're not in much of a position to speak about it from a geopolitical perspective. But? But we can talk about it from a cultural perspective, I think. Because there's some interesting stuff going on, especially on social media right now. Yeah, we can we cannot take apart the actual invasion. I can't really get into Putin, but we can talk about propaganda. And we can talk about the ways that people are talking about it because this is and I'm not going to even say that this is a war that for the first time like we've had social media for a while now and mm. even before social media propaganda has always always yes. been a part of yeah. conflict of, of major course. i mean and it's, so that is something we yeah. can talk about and, but it's interesting to see the ways that it's taking shape yeah now both in terms of the ways d the new and different digital platforms are being used but mm. also the specific cultural stuff like what you said we're going to talk about the way people talk about this conflict yes that's kind of what we do um so have you seen all the memes have you been paying attention? You are the one who are, who's catching me up to all the memes because mostly I see a lot of um, Ukrainian colors, a lot of sunflowers, mm -hmm. a lot of flags. Uh, I'm seeing less of the kind of like memeiness where it's like the jokes or the like most of the stuff that I'm seeing is the very Vaseline on the lens, flowers in a vase yeah. uh, sort of situation. But have you seen the official videos like coming out of the ukraine no uh, no yeah, government like they they have been circulating recently some ads that i guess are made to be shown on ukrainian television to promote morale oh my show, god like, different regular individual people on the home front in their regular everyday jobs doing their part and the soldiers saying how we fight for you because you're fighting for us every day you know it's like and it's so beautifully produced it's oh like my god the production value is really high and the quality of artistry is so high you're like you did this while you're getting invaded like that yeah <laughs> that's a weird disconnect but also i'm crying because yes. it's so effective yeah so there's that stuff um there's also did you catch any of the stuff about like the ghost of kiev no I'm I'm so behind on okay. all of this. You're going to have oh, to take me been, through. You've been researching labor history and thinking about art. I understand. So the ghost of Kiev, which is how we now say Kiev, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. um, this happened early on after the invasion. I was alerted to it by Matt, who was just like immediately getting into this propaganda stuff. He was like, this is crazy. It's trending on Twitter. Everybody's talking about it. It's supposedly this MiG pilot, a fighter pilot, a MiG-29 fulcrum flying ace who 
shot down six Russian planes single-handedly, some anonymous hero of the Ukrainian resistance. And um, this was according to the security service of Ukraine. They claimed this to be the case. They still claim it to be the case. I think they say he has shot down 10 Russian jets as of now. And it was immediately trending on Twitter and people were posting all kinds of excitement about this amazing hero. There was one video that went viral that purported to show from the ground the fighter jet flown by the ghost of Kiev shooting down a Russian fighter jet. Um, turns out that it was actually not just not real, but it was created with Digital Combat Simulator, a simulation game oh, from 2008. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm. That it, it went around uh, until it was debunked, and now people know that it's not real, though. There's no firm evidence of whether the ghost of Kiev is real or not. It just depends on whether you want to accept the word of Ukrainian security services. Uh, similarly, wow. there's the whole thing with Snake Island. Did you hear about that one? I did hear about Snake Island. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So this also, there was like a video involved. The idea was that there were these handful of soldiers stationed on this island. They were being threatened. Um by Russian forces who were saying they're going to take over the island. And the uh, response from the Ukrainian soldiers was, I think it was like, fuck, go fuck yourself. That was it. Russian warship, go fuck yourself, they responded. Right. right. And then we assumed they all died. And the Ukrainian government officially said that they were uh, dead, that they had been killed by the Russians. Here's here's the Washington Post story. A small team of Ukrainian border guards on a rocky, desolate island, desolate island received an ominous message, give up or be attacked. Russian worship. They said, go fuck yourself. The Russians opened fire, eventually killing 13 border guards. Just stated as fact by the Washington Post. Right. right. But more recently, we have reports. The defiant soldiers of Snake Island are actually alive and well says Ukraine's right. Navy. So it may be that they have been taken captive. Um, they were thought to have been killed. They even had like a funeral service for them. <laughs> um, so, you know, hey, I can give the benefit of the doubt and say maybe the Ukrainians genuinely thought these guys were killed. It was a logical conclusion. And then, hooray, <laughs> good news. They've only been taken captive. Totally possible. But uh, social media bought it hook, line, and sinker, and uh, very excited about it, just like uh, the Ghost of Kiev. Very excited about these stories of defiance against the Russians. Yes, yes. Videos circulating um, showing regular Ukrainian folks, uh, private citizens, showing up to warehouses where they're assembling Molotov cocktails by the hundreds. Yes. Uh, Ukrainian civilians lining up on the street to get their weapons so they can defend the home front if necessary, if it comes down to it. These videos of this stuff are going viral every day. And then in addition to that, you have the memes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which are like the pictures of uh, uh, Zelensky, the president, of Ukraine in his flak vest looking kind of hot and tough. Yeah. It with yeah. all kinds of captions. Some of them are uh, more flippant. Most of them are very serious about what a great leader he is. Uh, a lot of people posting a, a quote of him supposedly saying right when he was elected or inaugurated, don't, I don't want people to put pictures of me up in their homes or offices. They should put up pictures of their children because family is the most important thing or some blah, blah, blah. And uh, everybody's quoting that. Like, what a great leader he is. People have uh, put his face, Zelensky's face, over Captain America's face, you know, in pictures. I'm sorry. Can we just pause for a second? Yeah. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. oh, a guy is like, don't worship me like a deity. What a low bar we have. What oh, a yeah. low bar we have. <laughs> that some guy's oh, yeah. like, don't worship me like a deity. 
put up pictures of your own family in your private home. And we're like, what a fantastic fucking human what being. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. But you know wow. who's, in my observation, tweeting that more than anyone else are the super conservative pundits. Yeah. And commentators. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is great. Uh, yeah, but people love the picture of him in the flak vest. Lots of pictures contrasting him with Putin. Trying yes. to suggest the difference in their leadership style that Zelensky gets in there with his soldiers, with his people. He is defending his capital city and he's in the shit. He's uh, There's one where he's got his arm around his, I don't know, defense minister or some other advisor, um, which is contrasted with a picture of <laughs> Putin at oh the God. end of a like now to long, be fair table to be fair mm-hmm. putin is fucking psychotic and we're not saying that we that we think otherwise we're not saying oh, we think no, otherwise no 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 i want to be clear like let's uh, be no. very clear i we want to be clear no way if, when i criticize ukrainian propaganda i am saying that putin is great and that everything he does is correct. And yeah. that you should not support Ukraine in any way. You know that's obviously what I'm saying. <laughs> what I would like to get into is what the interest in this propaganda says about right. American right. and European yes. users of social yes. media. Yes. That's the interesting thing. Yes. Because um, we, we do not support the invasion of Ukraine. I think Putin is a fucking monster. I'm really feeling like all those things that I used to want to believe about like like CIA and I it the same things that I wondered about Trump like shouldn't there be a CIA agent who sneaks in there and like assassinates Trump like by you know whatever like making it seem like he has a heart attack like where's that guy oh I guess those kind of CIA operations don't really exist yeah, like yeah it's not a real thing oh my god don't put that on here don't put that part on <laughs> well, that there. you fantasized about someone assassinating the president. He's not president anymore. Does it count? Yeah. I guess he still has Secret Service protection. Yeah, he still has Secret Service. Oh, well, and his thought. family. Yeah, I know. I know. For just the rest of their fucking lives. But okay. Like, no, we don't as have he's, to, we don't we don't have have to talk to... about how you want to assassinate the former president. <laughs> please, I'll, please. I'll definitely cut that out. Um, <laughs> please do. Please but, do. All I'm saying is... Putin's a fucking psychotic monster, but also at the same time, there is this insane upswelling and it reminds me so much. So I'm a big, longtime, lifelong reader of Ellen Montgomery of the Anne of Green Gables books. Yes. And her final book in the Anne of Green Gables, you know, series is about Anne's daughter, Rilla, and it's basically a World War I propaganda novel. Like, that's what it is. And I feel like when I read it when I was, a, you know, a teen or whatever, I didn't understand it as what it was. And when you read it now, it just so obviously right. is a propaganda novel about a Canadian family who believes all of the propaganda that they are being fed about World War I. Like, and it's... Yeah amazing as a document of propaganda in that way yeah so so number one i don't think that putin is insane i think he is very savvy i think he's very wrong i think he's a bad man but what i'm i don't think he's he's i don't think he's insane i don't think he's operating off of pure megalomania i think he is operating off of an assessment of the geopolitical situation that for him is rational and we can get into that. I, I don't want to get into that right now. Right. But what I do want to get into yes. is um, the idea of propaganda. It doesn't have uh, an ideology or affiliation. Propaganda doesn't is not good or bad. Good guys use propaganda too. Yes. Everybody yes. uses propaganda. It is part yes. of a war effort. I mean, we all agree that manipulation is something we would prefer not to be involved in, right? Yes. We we all agree that um, propaganda can be used for very bad ends and often has been, but the reality is that propaganda is also used for 
good aims and worthy aims and can be very effective if well done. So to suggest or to say and point out that there's propaganda happening. Yes. Is not a judgment per se. Right. It's an observation. Yes. And it's not a judgment of whether the cause being propagandized for is just or not. But I think it is interesting what we care about and what we don't care about. And I think yes. that that's something that we want to get into. Somehow exactly. there's this surge. SNL opens their episode with the Ukrainian chorus of New York. There's a giant pot of sunflowers on the stage. Like, yeah, yes. like this is something that it seems like we can all get behind. So what's going on with this in terms of how the propaganda is operating? That's what we want to get into. What's really operating here? Because I think it's very easy to say, well, you have a sovereign nation, Ukraine. They are a democracy and they've been invaded by an autocratic regime. Mm -hmm. It's pretty black and white. It's pretty obvious. Yep. And that's true. And, and in the simplest terms, there's nothing untrue about any of those statements. Yeah. And there is no uh, really objective, rational way to justify Putin's actions here. Um, yet, we in the United States and the European Union and the Western world in general, we don't always get this exercised yes. about, about um, independent nations being invaded by stronger powers. You know, we, we can be uneven, <laughs> our, our, our concern uh, about such things. Correct. Uh, some other things that I've noticed uh, going on that are somewhat unusual here. Yes. Facebook has banned mm. Russia Today, I think it's called, right? That's... Oh, now? Now they've banned Russia Today. Yeah. So like, the now thing. they've banned Russia Today. Like, oh, uh-huh. They're yeah, take, really? They're, they're taking down disinformation accounts and for all of the propaganda we were just talking about coming out of Ukraine or coming out from other places that's about Ukraine, absolutely Russia is conducting its own uh, propaganda uh, uh, campaign and it, it has a whole machine and it is spreading disinformation. The Kremlin yes. spreads disinformation via social media. They've been doing it for years and years and yes. they certainly haven't stopped. But now... Facebook has banned, and not just banned these disinformation accounts, banned the official Russian Russia news organization. Like, that is their state-run news organization, which is, is sort of funny because, like, you're like, well, good, because they are just a propaganda arm of the Kremlin, and they are not a trustworthy news organization. On the other hand... It would have been so great to have done that, I don't know... Five years ago. I mean, okay. it would also be great to have some set of standards that yeah. are not arbitrary yeah. at all. Yeah. So we know what news organizations will be banned. Like, what standards do you have to meet to be on Facebook? Because it, is, it does set a precedent that could apply to, you know, if, if the United States government is putting pressure on Facebook and or, you know, European Union, NATO are putting pressure on Facebook and being like, you really should take down Russia Today and these other Russian news organizations. And Facebook complies. What's to stop China? Well, I think China already fucking does that, right? They right. already tell Facebook what can be on Facebook in China. Yeah. What's to stop any other government from... Like, uh, what I'm saying, I'm not, look, I don't oh, love you're slippery sound, slope are you, are you joining UATX? Are I, we going right, to be, right, like, right. going I, to UATX? I'm, Come on. I I am a big supporter of deplatforming. <laughs> I think it's awesome, and people should do it way more. But what I'm saying is that a platform with the reach and influence of Facebook ought to have more transparency and accountability and and just clear standards for shit they like ought well i also feel like they ought to have given a shit about right. this like five years ago i think yeah, that's one imagine and i if have to give say a shit five fucking years ago yeah so so that's one of the things that i feel like is behind a lot of this 
outcry and outpouring, especially in the United States. I feel like this feeling about Putin and about this invasion is for a lot of people really about Trump and about Trump being a Putin apologist, about him being a witting or unwitting asset, and about finally getting this place to stage and perform through this war, Yeah, this thing that has been maddening, insanely maddening for the entirety of Trump's presidency. Because we have watched Russian deployment and manipulation and use of social media for disinformation campaigns among the right wing, including the fucking convoy right now, the convoy of truckers, all of it coming from text messages about every day. What? Weird. No, what? How did you end up on that list? I don't fucking know, but I block the number every time and I get these, these messages every day that they're like, Trump is counting on you to support the truckers. Right. And then the truckers were following a few Facebook accounts that were all like from disinfo farms in Russia. So like I've been watching this for a long time. And so I think that part of the explosion of it is that it's like, we're finally, there's finally this war that is happening, that we're playing out this fight that's really about the way that, I mean, do you remember when Putin sent his like ministers into the Oval Office and like Trump told them some secret about some like high level fucking Mossad asset? Like gave gave an Israeli fucking asset. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Look, I think that's a very big part of it. Um, And one piece of this whole thing that I'm slightly ashamed to admit I'm gratified by yes is watching far leftists have to grapple with it because <laughs> I've I've watched the you know dirtbag left the Bernie bros the tankies I've learned they're called derogatively oh they for the past few years have been really skeptical about the Trump Russia stuff and oh. really skeptical oh. about the demonizing oh. of Putin and Russia, oh. ostensibly because they think or they thought that this was some form of like red baiting, that somehow oh. people demonize Russia because they still associate it with communism. Right. And so as good leftists, they're not going to fall into that trap. And also Hillary was talking about Russia, so therefore... They have to hate because they have to hate her yeah, because it, she's centrist just... Centrist chills yeah. who support the status quo are the right. ones talking about Russia. Correct. So they're obviously uh-huh. wrong. And now it's like, oh shit, babies, look at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have been wrong. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe that woman, that yeah. Hillary woman, knew a fucking thing or two, right. maybe. Right. Like when maybe. she was talking about Putin yeah. during the debates... Against and Trump. Maybe, maybe oh Russia hasn't been communist for like years. Yeah. And actually, yeah. it's a yeah. plutocracy run by the worst oligarchs in the fucking world that you should yes. be against yes. if you're yes. fucking Correct. leftist. But Correct. whatever. So I'm getting some small measure of gratification in seeing them sort of sputter and struggle to find how they feel about Russia and the anti-Russia sentiment in all of this. And I'm also kind of enjoying watching the conservative pundits. Oh my God. Who were buying the Trump line and defending the Trump line for years. I mean, up until a couple days ago. Days ago, yeah. You had them, you know, making these claims about, uh, you know, at least Putin's a strong leader. Putin's not really going to do what you think he's going to do. Just whatever defenses of him mouthpieces for the Russian propaganda yeah, coming yeah, out of yeah, Facebook yeah, yeah. and whatever. And now they're praising Zelensky for saying you should put pictures of your children on your wall and saying, don't you wish Biden were such a great leader? <laughs> and it, it's interesting. Well, also what the what the conservatives and the dirtbag left have in common is that they're just misogynists who hated Hillary. Like they, <laughs> There is that. They do have know, that overlap. They do have yeah. that overlap. So any... Any of the ways that this has been sort of looming and coming, I mean, that was one of the things like that's Manafort, like all of the, all of the, you know, Manafort stuff was about Manafort supporting the, the president before Zelensky, who was a Putin, 
who was in essentially installed by Putin and led to all of these like deaths of Ukrainian citizens. And Manafort was like handing over Trump's polling information to them during the election so that they could misinform using social media more accurately. Like we have been seeing this for a long time. So I feel like part of this burst is that it's it's like this actual thing that's happening now that we can get angry about where we've been angry about it for so long. And so the the tropes of propaganda that are coming in, who's the real leader? Who's the real man? What are real people who really love their country? What does that really look like? These are all very common tropes of wartime propaganda. Yeah. But we are so fucking ready for them in this yeah. way that is like... I think that's a really good point. And I do think that explains a lot of it. I, I think there is a pent-up desire to be able to definitively like stop the gaslighting. Yes. Like, you cannot yes. you cannot yes. gaslight me about this anymore. Yes. They are invading correct. a democratic country. That is correct. Yeah. That said though, I do I think that that only explains part of it. I really mm-hmm. think that there's a lot more going on and the reason I think that is also because things like okay, like FIFA banning Russia from competition. That's big. I don't know if people remember but like Russia already invaded Ukraine, first of all, a few years ago. Yeah. They took they took Crimea. Yeah. They just took Crimea. Yeah. And people were not doing what they're doing now. I mean, it was recent enough. Like, social media was around. Um, but that aside, even, like, mainstream news organizations, it was talked about. It was reported on. But it wasn't a national, like, on Saturday Night Live they're going to express their support for the people of Ukraine, of Crimea. Also, also in terms of soccer now doing it, like remember that whole book we had Ken Betzinger on about oh, the red yeah. card? About like how- <laughs> I mean, the FIFA thing is like uh, that, that's a whole deep oh dive you God. could do. I don't even want to get into it because I'm not expert enough on the inner workings of that shit. But yeah, I mean, there's the whole thing with World Cup having been in Russia and I'm Everyone, you should listen to our episode we did with guest Ken Benzinger, who wrote an amazing book about the investigation of FIFA corruption. Yes, but but now we care about it. That's what we're saying, right? Now, now we we actually give a shit. Just so you know, yeah. Um, But also in like 2008, almost the exact same thing that's happening right now in Ukraine happened in Georgia. It was extremely similar in a lot of ways. And, like, Georgia was, like, a former Soviet uh, uh, territory. It was part of the Soviet Union. And after the breakup of the Soviet Union, became an independent country. Um, was expressing interest in NATO membership. Mm-hmm. Had, like, a, a an affinity toward European Western countries as opposed to affinity toward Russia. But had a couple of... Um, areas what do you call it that were pro-russia um right and, and were right. making a lot of talk about uh, becoming independent because they didn't want to be part of this pro-european right um larger georgia and that was the pretext that putin used to invade georgia right so um he did that i mean it was on the news but I don't remember, again, people waving the colors of the Georgian flag, which I frankly couldn't tell you what those colors even are. I yep. don't recall any anything from FIFA about <laughs> this being a problem. It was like, wow, that's happening over there. Yeah. Now, a big part of that is if you think about what was going on in 2008, we were pretty occupied in our own wars. Right. Which Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. If you recall that Mm. time Mm. when uh, we invaded a sovereign nation. Correct. Yeah. Correct. On some pretext that some of us thought was justified. And many of us in the moment knew was not. Yeah. And and we faced resistance from the people who lived there. Uh, and wanted to uh, determine, you know, have self-determination about their own government. Yeah. But but um, that was different from this. Because how is it different? 
Because it's us? Because <laughs> it's, it's us? Because it's us. Because it's us. Right. Now, we recognize, of course, that many Americans opposed the invasion of Iraq and the continued occupation of Afghanistan and all of this stuff. But we kept on doing it. So it's it's very interesting to note how we apply this idea of um, an independent country being invaded by a more powerful country with a more powerful military and occupied and um, and then resisting that occupation, h- how we uh, receive and think about and talk about those situations differently, depending on, you know, who's involved and also where it's happening. Well, and that was one of the things that I would see a lot, actually, in the first couple of days on Twitter was there was this thing where people were like, this is a European city. Like these are people living Western lives. These are people at their cafe. Like there was a real like, no guys, you don't understand. These are white people. Yeah. There was this real feeling of like, these are Westerners. These are white people. They have a Vogue magazine. Like these are like people yeah. like us. These right. are people like us. I, I want to credit um, Jack Merkinson in uh, Discourse Blog wrote this great piece, we should cover everyone like we're covering Ukrainians. Yes. And um, he collected a lot of these examples, like um, CBS foreign correspondent saying, this isn't Iraq or Afghanistan. This is a relatively civilized, relatively European city. Like, wow. Wow. Um, Or um, the Telegraph, the English paper, the Telegraph, they seem so like us. That is what makes it so shocking. War is no longer something visited upon impoverished and remote populations. It can oh happen to god. anyone. Oh my god. Like this oh weird my god. Agno- like open acknowledgement. They're not even trying to code it. They're just like this matters because these people look like us and dress like us. Yes. And the yes. implication the converse of that, the other side being like it doesn't matter that much when it's brown people. It doesn't matter if it's not a a nation that we identify with culturally. I mean, these examples are are really extraordinary. ITV News reporter, now the unthinkable has happened to them. And this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. Yeah. Like like Europe, like violence in Europe. Violence in Europe. Who would have ever dreamed of such a thing? War in Europe? Well, a lot of the... Yeah. A lot of the reporting is emphasizing that this is the first incidence of of war in Europe since World War II, which is interesting on a lot of levels. But it's that sort of like this. We don't do this in in Europe. In Europe, yeah, yeah right. We're above this, we're above this. Yeah, C- CBS reporter says that Kiev is a relatively civilized, relatively European wow. city. I like relatively wow. civilized. Wow, because um, wow. you know wow. they are kind of in, in between. The Western yeah. Russia. Yeah. Because like, we're relatively yeah. civilized. Relative. Uh, um, Mostly civilized. Yeah. Almost there. Yeah. Almost there. All these examples. And um, yeah, uh, Merkinson makes the great point of like, we don't uh, express these kinds of concerns about democratic countries being invaded and occupied when we're talking about Palestine. Right. For example, the Palestinians yep. resisting the Israelis do not get similar uh, benefit of the doubt. So there's there's like an obvious there's obvious racism there. Yes, and, but there's also this blindness to American and European, but particularly American imperialism. Yes, blindness to it. Like we're not allowed to really care in the way that we care about Ukrainians for the people whose conflicts were caused by, by our us. foreign policy. By us. Yeah. Wait, and I just want to say in terms of memes or in terms of things that are going around, because I've yeah. noticed that in my own social media feeds, I uh, again, I get a lot more of the sort of sentimentalist wartime sure. propaganda. That's sort of what ends up in my, you know, liberal bubble. Um, and in terms of that, the propaganda meme that stays with me is like young Ukrainian boy 
plays Philip Glass in a lobby of a hotel while the bombs are... So a lot of the children, the children, Mm -hmm. what about the children, the children in red, the children holding flowers, the child, the boy child, the civilized boy child. He's playing piano, like playing fucking piano he's playing the piano right this is like high culture playing philip this glass is a place that understands western culture that understands high western culture he's not playing a fucking banjo it's right. a fucking <laughs> piano and to me that reminds me so much of all the ways that the culture that i came from the post-world war ii israeli culture it was jews that were trying so much to be europeans and there's oh, yeah. all of this like leftover of like culture people, their children play the fucking piano. Like <laughs> that's what you do if you're raising, you know, educated children. And so, yeah, the fact that it's like the boy playing piano, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what should bring tears to our eyes right. very much in that, you know, nice pocket of like Western uh, racism. And yeah, we absolutely don't look at the ways that our geopolitical history, it's like weirdly ahistorical. There's oh, it's like a absolutely real... ahistorical. That's why we see these regions that are conflict-ridden just being like, oh, it's a shame, but like it's a, it's a conflict-ridden region. Europe's not like that. That's why yeah. this is so shocking. This is happening in I'm sorry, was, was Serbia not Europe? That's a really good question. But that's the, that's actually a great point because I feel like anything sort of from the Balkans east, it, it's sort of European when it needs to be. It's that's yeah, and that's one of the things where it's like it's European it's when you're telling Europe. It's provisionally Europe. So that's Europe when when you have like you're telling soft profile stories of Modric mm-hmm. like growing up playing soccer by himself behind the hotel where he's a refugee in war-torn like then it's Europe because you're telling Europe soccer stories because he's do you know what I mean and then it's like other times it's not Europe yeah it's Europe when you need Europeans and Americans to identify yeah and and feel kinship but yeah not Europe when that's less important but then comes the question of like why why is that important? Because I think beyond people's sort of instinct to limit how much they're going to care about, number one, a conflict like Iraq, like a conflict where we are the aggressor. Absolutely. Number, number two, uh, care about a conflict that we sort of inadvertently caused or had a hand in, but is elsewhere. And number three, care about like brown people and things like that. Beyond all of that, I do think that there is... Okay, there is a powerful reluctance in the United States to acknowledge certain narrative of the situation. Mm -hmm. We're like, NATO is the good guys. Right. NATO is good. Russia's the bad guys. We like that narrative. Uh, Yes. But the one that we're a lot more reluctant to, to really face is like, we have been embroiled in a cold war with Russia that did not end when the Soviet Union fell. We have still been involved (laughs) in a power struggle and it is an imperialistic power struggle between two imperial powers. Trying Trying to decide who's going to have the bigger sphere of influence. Yes, exactly. That is exactly what's happening. And when the Soviet Union fell, it wasn't just the end of that. And then, yay, the good guys won democracy, which is inherently just good morally and ethically good one and right now we're just cleaning up the last vestiges of the holdouts it's not like that like we are still or you know one one could look at it <laughs> as we are still very much involved in a rivalry for world dominance and that's one of the things that i thought was really um Somebody was noticing this just during the Trump years when when Putin was so clearly had this this idiot in hand where they were like, you know, Kremlin really played the long game there. <laughs> like, like, yeah, damn, yeah, you know, did. we thought this shit was done. But nope, that's that is because Putin is Putin is the ultimate right. Cold War 
hold over That's everything it. about him is like, and you're like, yeah, this is part of this. This is what I was stretch. saying. This is what I was saying yes. earlier about him acting rationally from his point of view. We don't like to think that we are involved in an imperialist rivalry for world domination, but Putin absolutely believes that we are in that. Yes. And he is the other side of that. And so for him, NATO is a threat. The more powerful NATO gets, the more nations join, the weaker Russia gets. Yes. And Ukraine <laughs> is a major part of that. They ha- share an enormous land border with Russia. They are a buffer between NATO and Russia geographically. If they yes. join NATO, that is a major loss. Yes. For Russia in Putin's mind. And of course, like half of the Russian government's income comes from uh, natural gas exportation. Yes. Like 80% of that to Europe. And a lot of that goes through Ukraine. And Ukraine has its own natural gas resources that if it were able to exploit, because it doesn't really have the resources to mine them. I learned all of this from the YouTube video, by the way. Yeah. Um, but no, seriously, if um, if Ukraine were able to take advantage of its recently discovered natural gas resources, it would really cut into Russia's income from selling yes. natural gas to Europe, which is crucial for Russia. So Putin has every reason to not want Ukraine to be independent, to definitely not want them to join NATO. And he has the perfect pretext in these eastern provinces that are pro-Russia and trying to claim independence. So you could say that the United States and Russia are involved in this rivalry, this conflict that Putin is fully acting on. And um, in the United States, we'd like to imagine we're not. But right. like, we kind of are, because how did Zelensky get elected? Like, yes, he got elected by the people of Ukraine. Let's not pretend there was no uh, uh, American involvement in the propaganda yes. Correct. going Correct. on during that election. Correct. That was before Trump, obviously. <laughs> that was before Trump. So for Putin to um, get involved in, interfere in, U.S. elections must have felt like a tit for tat for him. That was like giving us a little of our own back. It was like it was the long game totally because in his mind, we installed a pro-NATO, pro-Western leader. That's right. In this crucial to him country. And that was a blow. I also feel like I just want to briefly mention the Olympics in all of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we were just in terms of where culture plays out, because I feel like everybody knows, all of the players know the importance of culture and storytelling and narrative in this. Mm-hmm. And that is why Russia has such an extremely organized doping program, which right. both right, gets right, them right. kicked out of the Olympics as Russia, but then there's still the Russian, you know, uh, committee of athletes who are still showing up and doping. Like there is, there is, they are still working that they are still, we watch them work that culturally. Like we've watched this, like just now before Ukraine, like this has been ongoing. There hasn't been a pause to this. Yeah, no, I mean, There's a weird way, this is going to sound terrible, but there's a weird way in which like Putin is living honestly in this reality. Yeah. He's like this, I want to restore the Russian empire. Yeah. I I mean, he's doing his share of gaslighting and and using false pretenses to invade other countries and things like that. But um, he doesn't seem to deny that there's this rivalry where we in the United States really cling to this idea that we're just pro-democracy and yep. pro-self-determination for countries. And Russia's an autocracy. And that's the yep. opposite thing. Wow. Like, wow. This amazing piece in the Atlantic. Um, Ukraine is redefining America's interests by George Packer. You sent me a tweet that was criticizing this article. So, of course, I had to click on it and, and read the fucking thing. And um, 
George Packer, staff writer at The Atlantic, uh, writes this whole thing about how our blunder in Iraq and uh, failure in Afghanistan uh, made Americans feel like maybe we shouldn't be meddling in other countries' affairs. We shouldn't be getting involved. And, um, you know, Barack Obama bought that line because when Russia invaded Crimea, he just kind of like didn't really do that much about it. Um, but now we see Putin, right. has, Putin has showed us the lie of that. He has showed us how wrong that is uh, because his evil autocracy, which I'm not denying it fucking yeah. clearly is that. Um, yeah has invaded this democracy and we democracies have to come together to defend other democracies against the aggression of autocracies. And it's like, there's your propaganda. Like that's the line that we like to hear and like to believe it is. I'm, it is more complex than that. Look, Turkey is in NATO. Yep. And, oh my God, and like the misery of the way that Turkey has been taken over by a total controlling, culturally controlling autocrat is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was there, I was in Turkey with Ben. We were like in Istanbul for this like weekend away while my kid was with my parents in Israel. We're like, we're going to go to Istanbul for a weekend. What a fun idea. And we, we ended up stuck in our Airbnb while there was tear gas. Like this was when everybody (gasps) was like going to the park, that one park. And like, it was, it's, it's devastating. We don't talk about it anymore. And it's still real. And I had all these Turkish friends who were like miserable. It was like breaking their fucking heart. And like, yeah. And like, he's a good guy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) So it's more complicated. Yes. Democracy in principle is a good thing that we should be defending. But in the reality of the situation, there are democracies like Palestine, where when we don't like the outcome of their elections, we don't fight too vigorously for their autonomy. And then there are democracies, in quotation marks, like Turkey, where we're like, yeah, they're part of NATO. Yeah. They're joining us in defending democracy against the evils of autocracy. It's like... (sighs) There's a little more complexity to it than that story that we would all like to get behind because it would be beautiful if it were true. I still think Putin's a monster. I mean, he's not not a monster. (laughs) (laughs) I just I just want to be clear. He's not irrational or crazed. Well, but I think that that's one of the parts, one of the other propagandas is I think there is this like... And he's losing his mind. Like, I think in terms of the fear propaganda, there is one of the stories that we're telling ourselves is like, he's about to push the button because he's losing his mind. Like, he's not listening to his advisors. He's losing his mind. And I think that we're all really primed for that again, because we have just watched someone like that. That's fair. Uh, I mean, but like, also that's that's also age old. Uh, they they said that uh, it was the same thing about like Saddam Hussein. It used to yes. kind of drive me nuts. People call him like a madman, and I would be like, "Look, I think that he is evil, wrong, whatever." But like that doesn't make him a madman. He's not whatever he's got going is clearly working for him. Exactly. And that's not like like we're not into that, but right. it's clearly working for him. Well yeah. Said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Listeners, I'm sure that you have some thoughts about my love for Vladimir Putin, my, my clear <laughs> pro-Putin position. Oh my God, your dad. Well, that's the thing. Like, what does your dad say? What did your dad say about Putin last year? And what is he saying right now? I have avoided talking to my dad about Putin for pretty much ever. I actually don't know that we've ever, you know, maybe years ago, before right. Trump, right. it may have come right. up. But certainly... Right. Mm, uh, I, mm. I, I have not had occasion well, to hear him out on that. Clearly, clearly, you're just some pro-commie, Putin, oligarch-loving, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Maybe I'm the dirtbag leftist. You are the dirtbag <laughs> leftist. Is Rebecca the dirtbag leftist, guys? Are you pro-Putin? We know you're not pro-Putin, <laughs> but is there any 
sort of pocket of propaganda in terms of propagandistic themes that you've noticed that we've missed. Oh, let us know. Let us know. Um, You can share them as a member of our Patreon, patreon.com slash sauce podcast, where you can come on our discord and we will share our favorite memes. Um, And also uh, you can just email us at saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at sauce podcast on all of the socials that are currently being manipulated by, you know. (laughs) Yes. Get your propaganda from at sauce podcast. Correct. Uh, you can find me as at Gynostar on all the various platforms. And you can find me at Maya Garantz anywhere you are looking for your Maya Garantzes. We really do look forward to hearing from you. And we will talk to you all very soon. Adios, amibas. Adios.